Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, today is week four in this series called Greater. And just a quick synopsis, in this series, we're looking at sort of uh, a few key Old Testament figures, uh, some, some of the most well-known, maybe most important uh, people that are mentioned in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. We're looking at kind of what made them great, you know, why they're memorable, why they're so famous and important. But then the series is called Greater because we're looking at how these people are a reflection of Jesus before Jesus, but how when he came to do what he did, He's a greater version of each of those figures. So this week's figure is maybe one of the more famous ones. Uh, People who maybe don't even have much of a church background probably have heard at least some about this person and their story. It's a pretty famous sort of children's church kind of story. You know, even kids know who this guy is. So today we're talking about Samson. Samson. Now, if you know anything about Samson, it may seem like he doesn't belong in this series. He doesn't belong in this list. We're talking about great Old Testament people. And you may think, well, was he, was he that great? Well, really? Like, we're going to go there, and we're really going to try to compare him and Jesus? There's really not much of a comparison. And for this week, that's kind of the point. So Samson, as we'll see, was a kind of a disappointment. You know, kind of just as start at the very beginning here, seeing that, letting the cat out of the bag, kind of a, you know, failure in many respects, you know, left a lot to, to be desired, a lot on the table there, and that's the point. And so we'll see how different, really, Samson and Jesus were, and maybe how we're somewhere in the middle, and we want to veer more toward the Jesus side and less toward the Samson side. So what we're going to look at today are four traits about Samson. And uh, really, he's a cautionary tale. We want to avoid being like him, so he doesn't belong in the series, but he does very much belong because of his frailty, his imperfection. So that's what we're going to look at today is, is the life of Samson. And the first thing we've already alluded to is this idea that Samson had an important mission, but he failed at his mission. Samson had an important mission, but he failed. So Samson lives at a very interesting time in the nation of Israel. So the last two weeks, we've talked about Moses, and we've talked about uh, Joshua. Now, after Joshua, there's kind of this period that's called the time of the judges. So from time to time, God would raise up different leaders for a short period of time to lead Israel until eventually they do have a king and a kingdom. So this period of judges is between Moses and Joshua and the kings, this period. And this is where Samson lived. Samson was actually one of these judges for 20 years. 
And we know that Samson is kind of a big deal from the very beginning. We know that he has an important mission because he has one of the most amazing birth announcements in the world. Only a handful of people in the Bible had a birth announcement as big, as epic as Samson. So I want to start there, and then we're honestly going to go downhill from there, okay? But we're going to start with the announcement of Samson's birth to see what his mission was and how it was an important mission and how he was an important person, how he was designed for greatness. And but then we'll see the rest of the time how he failed at that mission. So uh, this is Judges chapter 13, starting at verse number one. We're going to see this about the birth, the announcement of the birth of Samson. So it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines, a different people group, who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful, you must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. Now that's not for Samson, that's for his mother, okay? Then the angel says, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. Here's the mission statement. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. This is pretty epic, guys, right? I mean, an angel announces Samson's birth. Epic. Like you check off that that box of epic traits of a person's birth announcement Angel announcement, pretty big deal. Then to add to the lore of this story, Samson's mother is unable to have children. Yet when the angel announces, he's, the angel says, you're going to get pregnant and have a child. You can check that box off the list of another epic moment. And then the angel announces, if you know, sometimes we, I wish I knew what my life plan was. I wish I knew what God's will was. For Samson, it's pretty easy because God... The angel, God tells through the angel what his mission is before he's born. I mean, how easy is that, guys? And so the angel says he is going to begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. That is his mission, an important mission. This people group who are oppressing Israel, who are just bullying them year after year after year, he's going to start to wipe them out. That's his mission. But as we've seen already in this point, the tragedy of Samson's life is he never fulfills that mission. He never really even gets very close. It's a tragic story. And so what we're going to look at really is why. Why did he fail? Why did he come up so short? And that really gets into the next really three points that we'll look at to explore this idea of why was Samson such a failure? He had his life plan figured out before he was born. It was figured out for him. And yet he, he failed on his mission. Why? Well, really the next thing we see about Samson, the reason he failed so miserably is because he struggled with distractions. Samson struggled with distractions. And there's really two key areas of distraction for Samson. One is really well known. But we'll start with this one. This is a big one, though, and it's interesting because one of Samson's struggles with distractions were with small, insignificant things. However, these small, insignificant things had significant consequences and caused significant setbacks 
on his mission. So the first one, and these two are kind of tied together. It's really a two for one here. But so one day, Samson is traveling from his town to a different town. And while he's traveling on the road, a lion comes and attacks him. But what's the one thing that everyone knows about Samson? It's his supernatural strength. So the scripture says that he literally defeats the lion with his bare hands. He destroys this lion. He kills the lion with his bare hands. And then he throws the carcass to the side of the road and just keeps on walking. So then while he comes back, though, the other direction later, he notices the lion's carcass is still there, the same lion he killed, but he notices a big swarm of bees around it. So he goes closer and closer to investigate, and he discovers these bees have made honey in the carcass of a dead lion. Now, that's something you don't see every day. And so Samson's intrigued by this, and honey just, it's amazing. It's like a delicacy here. And so he takes some of the honey out of the dead carcass and eats it. Now, that's gross, obviously, but it's also a, a small distraction because part of the vow that Samson takes is not just not cutting his hair. Also, one of the parts of his vow is to not touch dead animals. It's unclean for him to do so, yet he does it without even really considering it or thinking about it. This vow with his life really didn't mean that much to him because he doesn't stop and think about it. He doesn't talk to himself, oh, I shouldn't do this. He just like, yep, I want it. I'm going to have it. So a small distraction has significant negative impact. And then what he does with this is he's about to be married. And so they have this week-long pre-wedding celebration, and he's marrying a Philistine woman. Now, you might think, wait, wasn't his life mission to destroy the Philistines? And you'd be right, but he's going to marry a Philistine woman. And so then he has a, they have a huge wedding party. He's, and by party, I don't mean celebration, I mean like people in the wedding. He's got 30 dudes that are going to stand with him right, as, as his groomsmen, and they're all Philistine men. So Samson decided he's going to toy with his groomsmen just a little bit. So with what happened with the honey and the lion, he makes a riddle, and he tells these men this riddle. Hey, and he, tell, he makes it in a certain way to where the answer is, you got honey from a lion's carcass, basically. He tells them this riddle. He is so confident they'll never discover the answer to his riddle by the end of the week, by the wedding day, that he makes this huge bet. He says, if you cannot guess the answer to my riddle, you each have to give me one robe and one garment from yourself. He's going to get 30 new garments here from these guys. And he's so confident they'll never figure out the answer to the riddle that he says, if you do figure it out, I will give each of you a robe and a set of garments. So he's really confident. He's going like a 30 to 1 ratio here. Not a big deal for them to each give him a set of clothes, but it's a huge deal for him to give them 30 sets of clothes. But that's how confident he is. So for a couple days, the men can't figure out the riddle, and they're getting frustrated, and they're getting angry. And so what they do is they pull his fiance aside, and they threaten her if she doesn't figure out and tell them the answer to Samson's riddle. So then she goes in and she begs him and pleads with him and cries to him, Samson, if you love me, you'll tell me your riddle. Why won't you tell me? Don't you trust me? And Samson, you know, it's interesting that Samson is a judge in Israel, and yet he's a terrible judge of character, okay? So he gives in. He tells her the answer to his riddle. She tells the men the answer to the riddle. So at the end of the week, they come back and they answer his riddle correctly, and he knows he's been betrayed. He knows he's been tricked. But yet he's got to, you know, pay up on his bet. 
So he goes to a different town here and kills 30 men, innocent men, takes their clothes and gives it to his groomsmen. And then he goes home and sulks and pouts and cries and whines for a while. Small, insignificant things were huge distractions here for Samson. But then the other distraction that Samson dealt with, that's his famous distraction, is women. Women were a distraction for Samson. I'm not making a general statement about women, okay, ladies? Okay, I'm just saying for Samson, this was a problem. Because we read in Judges chapter 16, he just randomly sleeps with a prostitute. Not a good move, not a good look, Samson. And then the story that we just talked about, he's marrying this Philistine woman. He falls in lust with her. I mean, he falls in love with her, right? Uh, And he's going to marry her, and then she betrays him. Now, she was threatened, and so it wasn't like, oh, I hate this guy. but But here's a question I think of when I read this story. Why didn't she tell Samson the truth? He's a big, burly, strong guy. Why didn't she say, hey, your groomsmen are betraying you? Uh, your groomsmen are threatening my life if I, don't t- if I don't tell them the answer to your riddle? But instead, again, Samson being a poor judge of character, she just simply, her first thought is betray my fiancé and have him lose, you know, this huge bet. So not a great judge of character. Women were his, was one of his distractions. And then famously, he meets a woman after this named Delilah, who, who betrays him because she's using him. She, you know, they kind of fall in lust, or I mean in love with each other. I did that again, Freudian slip, right? Uh, they fall in love, and, and then she is basically hired by some other Philistine men. Hey, we're going to pay you a ton of money if you can get from Samson the source of his supernatural strength. If you can find out his secret and tell us so that we can capture him, because uh, he's, he's, you know, not being very nice to our people, and we'll pay you a ton of money. And so she says, yep, just, that's fine, you know, gets the dollar signs in her eyes and, and betrays Samson. So she, like Samson's fiance earlier, begs and cries and pleads, what's the secret? Tell me the secret of your burliness, Samson. Tell me the secret of your strength. And he kind of toys with her for a while, you know. First he says, well, if I'm tied up with brand new bowstrings, then I can't get out of them and I'll be as, as weak as any other man. So she tries to tie him up with new bowstrings. She calls in some, a group of Philistine men to capture him, and he snaps them because he's messing with her. Then he says, well, no, I was just kidding. If you tie me with a, a rope, then I'll, I can't get out of it. Tries to tie him with a rope. The men come in. He escapes, and the men run away. You know, and then she's getting irritated. She says, yeah, you're, you're messing with me, Samson. This is not nice to do to your lover here. You can't do that. And so then he, he says, okay, it has to do with my hair. He's getting closer and closer to the truth. He says, if you tie up my hair in a loom, a fabric loom, a weaving loom, then I can't get out of it. You know, I just can't. It just, you know, whatever. So she does that while he's asleep, calls the men in. He wakes up while they're there to capture him. He gets out of the loom, no problem, no problem. And so now she's really irritated. She says, if you love me, Samson, if you love me, oh, you know, the tears, waterworks coming. If you love me. You will tell me your secret. So finally, he tells her, he gets distracted, and he tells her his secret. He says, okay, my hair is the source of my strength. If you cut my hair, if you shave my head, I'll be as weak as any other man, and I can be captured. So while he's asleep, she shaves his head, calls in the men, and it says he got up and thought, I'll be fine, not realizing, oh, whoops, his hair is gone. They do capture him. So this is not good. 
This is his downfall, was it started with his distractions. Distracted by tiny things, distracted by being a poor judge of character with these women, and it was his ultimate downfall. But the other reason, another reason that he was, he failed in his mission, he never lived up to his potential, is that his strength was his weakness. Samson's strength was his weakness, the thing that he was known for, his one advantage in life, and it became his downfall. And and it wasn't so much his actual strength, it was his self-reliance on his strength. His attitude was, I will because I can. His attitude was, I can utilize my strength to get me out of anything. And for most of his life, he was right until he went one step too far. So his self-reliance was a problem. It became his weakness. His pride in his strength became a weakness. His anger when he didn't get his way and used his strength became a weakness that got him in trouble. Again, with this riddle he made and the bet, his pride got the best of him. It was his downfall. It became his weakness. And then as I alluded to, after he loses this bet, he goes back home to his parents' house, lives in the basement, and sulks and cries. Then when he's done crying and feeling sorry for himself, he goes back to get his fiance to marry her, only to discover she's been married off to somebody else already. And he is so angry that he begins to burn down Philistine farms. He begins to terrorize the Philistines with his strength, but it became a weakness. Really, the, the strength that became a weakness is that Samson became all about himself. His, his mission was not about himself. His mission was bigger than that. His mission was about his people, his country, his God, and yet his life, his strength became all about himself. You see, what he didn't discover was that he was trying to get personal revenge on the Philistines, but it's having a a negative effect on his own people. So here's an interesting thing that happens. In Judges 15, after he starts setting farms on fire and starts terrorizing Philistine neighborhoods, in Judges 15, 11, something interesting happened. Let's read this for just a second. It says, So 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson at the cave in the rock of Edom. They said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? So what we see here, 3,000 of Samson's own fellow countrymen come to capture him and deliver him to the Philistines. Because while Samson's on his revenge tour, it's causing the Philistines to exact revenge, only not on him, but on Israel. So his strength is becoming a weakness. So his own men come to capture him. And they say, hey, dude, this is not cool. This is not how this is supposed to work. You're supposed to destroy them, not get them mad so they destroy us. So they come three, and they're pretty smart. They knew it's going to take probably 3,000 of us to capture this one super strong guy. And so they come to capture him, and he goes along with it. He says, okay, I, I get it. I see what you're saying. That's fine. But here's what he says while he's being captured. He's trying to justify his selfish behavior. So the rest of that verse, verse 11, Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. It's the classic childish response. They started it. That's this 
mighty man of God's response to his treatment of the Philistines. They started it when really they didn't start it. He started it. It's his pride that got in the way. He was tricked. His pride caused him to not judge character very well. His self-reliance on his strength is not working in the favor of the people now. It's having an adverse negative effect on other people. He doesn't really care about them at this point. He only cares about himself. You ever known anybody like that? They're so self-absorbed that they ruin relationships because they only care about them. You ever known somebody who was so self-centered that they were such a bad judge of character, they were so silly in what they were doing and thinking and how they were living that they messed up a golden opportunity for them because they were just so inward focused on themselves? Maybe you know someone or have known someone like that. Or maybe, if we're really honest, maybe you've been that way. Maybe at times I've been that way. You know, maybe at times you've been so consumed with you that you didn't realize you were hurting other people, people that you love, people that you care about. You're so into you that you don't realize you're harming people. That is what, when our strengths become our weakness, that's what happens. That's what happens is we have unintended consequences and we create collateral damage in our lives, in our families, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood. We become the problem suddenly because we're all about us. So the call is to be less like Samson than sometimes we are uh, in our lives. Here's the real problem. Here's the real problem with his strength becoming weakness is that he forgot about God. In all of what he was doing, in all of living life, in all of getting revenge, in all of getting even, in all of his self-consumption, he forgot about God completely. So back to the story in Judges 15, when the men, he, he lets his own men capture him. He's like, okay, guys, I, I get it. But then when he gets to where the Philistines are, he changes his tune and something you know, interesting happens here. So pick it up at verse number 14 of this story. As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph because he's captured. They're going to get him, right? But the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. And he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed 1,000 Philistines with it. Then Samson said, he sang a little ditty, a little song, With the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed 1,000 men. When he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was named Jawbone Hill. So Samson's response here is also very immature. He says, look what I did. Look what I did. Samson's strength became his weakness because he forgot the source of his strength. The source of his strength was never actually in his literal physical hair. The source of his strength was always the power of God. God empowered him to be able to kill a thousand men at a time by himself because of his mission. Remember, his mission is to start to get rid of the Philistine people. So they'll back off, back down, and leave Israel alone. What he's done so far is the opposite of that. And yet we see again his strength is becoming his weakness because he forgot the true source of his strength. His pride, his self-reliance cost him every step of the way because he misused his strength. 
and ultimately it cost him everything. Because the final thing we see about Samson is that Samson's self-inflicted death killed a few. Samson's self-inflicted death killed a few. So this comes full circle, back to his mission that he failed to do. So he meets Delilah. She tricks him into telling her of a secret of his strength. Once he does, hey, my hair gives me strength, she shaves his head in his sleep. She calls in a group of Philistine men to capture him, and now he can't outmuscle them anymore. And it even says, one of the most saddest verses in all of the Bible, it says, he got up as at many times before, and thinking, I will overpower them, but he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. His strength became his weakness, and then he's ultimately defenseless. So they capture him, they gouge out his eyes, and they imprison him. He's grinding grain in the prison yard. So then later on, the Philistines are having this huge festival, this huge celebration out in this open-air temple sort of area, and they decide to bring out Samson the Great. To make fun of him. Oh, this strong man. We've defeated him. We've captured him. He's our prisoner. He's our slave. They bring him out to laugh at him, to mock him, probably throwing some tomatoes at him, that kind of thing. So he's out here in this open temple just being ridiculed, blind, weak, failure. And while he's there, he's, it says he's resting between two of the pillars that hold up this temple, and he prays to God, God, give me strength one more time. And God does. And so he, famously, he pushes the pillars. God gives him this supernatural strength. He pushes these huge pillars till they fall to the ground, and the whole top of the temple falls. And it says it kills 3,000 Philistines. So his self-inflicted death, it did kill a few. You would think, well, you know, it's a victory, right? He killed 3,000 men. But then the sum of his life, what's on his tombstone, another really sad verse in the Bible, it says that Samson killed more men in his death than he had in his entire life. Not a victory here. It's actually a sign of defeat. He did not fulfill his mission. His distractions, his self-reliance, his weakness of character and spirit cost him in the end. And it was indeed self-inflicted. He brought this on himself. God gave him every tool he needed. God gave him every opportunity he needed. God gave him the means to fulfill his mission, yet he got in his own way. He tripped himself up. His death was avoidable. This was, un this was avoidable. His death was absolutely avoidable. Uh, the, the end of his life was avoidable. It's unrealized potential. In a way, since we're in the middle of football season, I'll use this analogy. It's kind of like a powerhouse football team. They are by far the Super Bowl favorite. Nothing should stand in their way. They should probably go undefeated. But along the way, they get distracted. They have stupid penalties in key games and lose games they should win. So their record is lower. And then, you know, they have locker room problems. Well, you're not doing your job, but you're not doing your job, and you need to be better. They're pointing fingers. Distractions, weakness within the team, cracks within the team, this powerhouse team with all these expectations, all this talent, all this coaching, and yet they maybe barely make the playoffs, and then they lose in the first round of the playoffs. So you could look at this team and say they were fairly successful. They made the playoffs. Only so many teams can do that. And yet, in reality, you look at the distraction, you look at the weakness of the team, you look at how they just couldn't get out of their own way, and you're like, they're not supposed to just barely make the playoff. They're supposed to win the whole thing. That's Samson's life in a nutshell. All this promise, all this potential, yet so much left on the field. 
yet so much left undone. His mission was not complete. You might even look at his life and say, what a waste. You might look at his life and say, well, if only he had done this. And that's true. If only he had not gotten distracted by stupid, simple things, by insignificant things. If only he had judged people's character better. If only he had, he had remained true and faithful to his mission, to God who gave him his strength. This would have been a totally different story. So, how do we compare Samson to Jesus? Really, there is, there is no comparison here, and that, again, is the point. As we'll look here, the real question is not how do they compare, but why do they contrast? How was Jesus able to not end up like Samson? How was his cautionary tale enough for Jesus and hopefully enough for us? So we saw at the beginning, Samson had an important mission, but obviously failed miserably. Jesus also had a very important mission, yet he succeeded. This is where we see the similarities begin and end with Samson and with Jesus. So we saw, you remember Samson's birth announcement from the angel? You know, his mother can't have children, but God gives him this mission. We see the same thing with Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, uh, Jesus' earthly father, uh, Joseph, is, has a dream where an angel basically has this same encounter with him to tell him, hey, this is going to happen. Don't doubt it. Don't disbelieve. This is going to happen. Here's what happens. The angel tells Joseph in this dream, she, that's Mary, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will, here's the mission, save his people from their sins. An angel announces Samson's birth and Jesus' birth. An angel talks to a woman who cannot have children, and also a woman who cannot have children because she's a virgin, saying you're going to have a child. Pretty cool parallel here, pretty cool similarity here, and gives them both through angels, through this message, their mission. Samson, destroy the Philistines. Jesus, save the people from their sins. And Jesus knew this was his mission. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Both Samson and Jesus had amazing, important missions Yet their stories from here diverge completely. Samson failed, yet Jesus succeeded. The question is, why? Why did Jesus succeed where Samson failed? What made Jesus a greater Samson? And we see that in the second description of these two men. As we've already said, Samson struggled with distractions, and boy did he ever. But Jesus was laser-focused laser-focused. Isaiah 50, verses 5 through 7, I want to read this. It's a prophecy about the Messiah, who is Jesus, and there's a term here I want to read um, and compare it to a time of Jesus's life. Isaiah 50, verse 5, says, "'The sovereign Lord has spoken to me, and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard.'" I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like anything we've heard before? But here's the comparison. Verse 7, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Here's the, here's the key term. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. And then Luke 9, verse 51 says this about Jesus. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The same language used in Isaiah 
is the same used in Luke. He set his face like stone in Isaiah, and then it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Other translations actually say set his face like a stone or set his face like flint, hearkening back directly to that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 50. See, Jesus, like Samson, knew his mission, but unlike Samson, he stayed focused on his mission. He was not distracted. You see, Jesus on either side here, he wasn't distracted by fame or fear. He wasn't distracted by popularity or persecution. So on the positive side, he didn't get a big head about himself. He didn't read his own press. Uh, he didn't make it all about him. He did, it wasn't about fame or popularity for Jesus. But also, it wasn't about fear or persecution, which also would have been huge distractions for Jesus. He didn't give up when people didn't believe in him. He didn't give up when he faced literal persecution. He didn't give up when he's being nailed to a cross. He refused to give up because he knew his mission was too important to get distracted. He was laser-focused, something that Samson never was able to do. And then we also talked about with Samson that his strength became his weakness, but with Jesus, it's the total opposite. Jesus' weakness was his strength. And now it's not really weakness, but it's a different word that does rhyme. It sounds like, right? Uh, It's not weakness, but it's meekness. Jesus' meekness really was his strength. And again, I'll say, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control, something that clearly Samson never figured out. He had the strength, but never had it under control. There is only one major time where Jesus does show anger. He does show some physical strength here. And it's when he's going to worship at the temple. And at the entrance of the temple, at the, the opening part there, he sees these tables with money changers. And they're selling these sacrifices to the people to make at the temple. And you would say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? People are coming from out of town, other parts. They have to exchange their currency. They have to, they're not going to travel with a sacrifice. They have to buy one. The problem is that these people are charging a huge fee to exchange currency, and they're gouging the price of the animals for sacrifice. They're making a business in front of the temple. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, this is not happening. So he turns over the tables, and he whips the animals to get them out of there, and he, he says, this is a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. And you would say, well, he's kind of like Samson here, right? But here's where it's different. It wasn't personal revenge that Jesus is after, it's righteous anger. It wasn't like Samson about him and how he was slighted, but Jesus' concern was about the temple, about the people worshiping there, about the sacredness of that place. It's about others, not about him. Jesus' meekness was his strength. And here's the thing, meekness is a very attractive trait in people, and Jesus proves that to be true. People followed Jesus because of his meekness. People didn't follow the Pharisees because they were proud. They were know-it-alls. They were big-headed. They were stuffy. And Jesus is not like that at all. People follow meekness. It's true for you as well. People will follow meekness. They're not going to follow proud know-it-alls. They're going to follow meek people. Also, meekness is very effective. 
even in Jesus' darkest hour, he's before the Roman official Pontius Pilate, and his meekness spoke volumes to Pilate. He's trying to, you know, why aren't you flailing about? Why aren't you crying about injustice? Why aren't you pleading your case and making a big deal and making threats and throwing people under the bus? What, what's the deal? His meekness had an effect. So much that Pilate even said, there is no fault in this man. I can find no fault in him. Jesus' meekness was effective. It really it helped him to gain influence, and it's the same for us as well. Paul, another New Testament person, important figure, he's a well-respected and influential person, but he also was that because he was meek. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's telling, writing down an account where he's got what he calls a thorn in his flesh or a thorn in his side. We don't know exactly what that is. Scholars debate about what maybe physical ailment he had or what disease or sickness he had or what tormented him. We don't know. But we do know that he prayed to God multiple times for God to take this thing away. Take this away. It's hindering my ministry. It's a problem for me. And God said, no, I'm not going to do it. Three times God said this. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we get a fuller answer. And Paul explains how weakness can be a strength. He writes this, each time God said to him, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. God says, my power works best in weakness. And then Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul knew weakness can be a strength. Let me ask you then, is it possible that one of your strengths is becoming a weakness? Are you relying too heavily on your own intellect? to get you through life, and less on God to get you through life? Are you relying too much on your wisdom and experience to get you through situations and difficulty and maybe not relying enough on God's wisdom and experience to get you through life? Are you relying upon your connections to give you advantages that maybe God wants to give you? Are you relying upon your talents and your abilities Instead of relying upon God, God, I've got this, just sit back and watch, you know, talent, the talent's working, you know. Too often, our strengths that God gave us can become weaknesses just like Samson. We become too dependent upon the talent, the strength, instead of the one who gave it to us, and that is God. So is a strength becoming weakness, or are you strong enough to say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I don't have all the answers. God, I don't have the connections. God, I don't have the know-how here. I need your help. And that, the, great, the greatest prayer in the history of the world, the greatest prayer that you can pray is a one-word prayer. You ready for it? Help. The greatest prayer that you can pray or I can pray is one word, help. Because it shows our need for God. My strength is not enough. My intellect is not enough. My skills and talents are not enough. I need God's help to get me through life, through any situation that I face. And let's finish with this idea as we close. We saw at the end, Samson's self-inflicted death killed a few. But conversely, Jesus' self-sacrificial death saved many. In John 15, 13, 
Jesus says to his disciples, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Those are big words, but Jesus followed through on those words. In John 10, verse 18, Jesus says, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down and when I want to, when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. Jesus voluntarily gave himself. He laid down his life. You see, we might look at Samson's death and think that that was sacrificial. Not really. And some may look at Jesus' death compared to Samson's death and say, man, what, what, a, uh, what a tragic death. We might see Jesus' death as tragic. Not really. That's not the case either. Because Jesus on the cross, one of his fi- some of his final words was not, oh, I can't believe this. Some of his final words were, oh, I have so much left to do. Nope. I have so many regrets. There's so much left to accomplish. Nope. Some of the final words of Jesus on the cross were, it is finished. The price of sin is paid. My mission is Complete. It is finished. His self-sacrificial death saved many. Samson's self-inflicted death, you know, just a little blip on the radar screen. So much left to accomplish that Samson never was willing to just keep it in check and stay focused on God. That's what separates Jesus from Samson. How is Jesus a greater Samson? It's because he was everything Samson was not. He did everything Samson was unwilling and unable to do. And so I pray that we are more like Jesus and less like Samson. I pray that you in your life would find your mission. And I pray that once you find it, you stay laser focused on it. I pray that you would rely on God's power to help you fulfill the mission God has for your life. No regrets. No distractions, no compromises. Leave it all out there on the field and through God's power, God's wisdom, God's help, and God's strength, may you complete the mission that God has for your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a story like Samson, not that we want to emulate him, but help us to view it as a cautionary tale. Help us to see there's so much untapped potential in this man of greatness. There's such a huge mission that he left so much left to do. He actually probably did more damage than good in his lifetime. So help us to see this story for what it is as a cautionary tale. God, help us to, in you, seek out our mission And once we find our plan, once we discover our plan, help us to stay laser-focused and totally reliant upon you to accomplish that mission, to see it fulfilled, not based on our skill, our strength, our wisdom, our knowledge, but based completely upon you. We want to complete our mission, and we know we can't do it on our own. So help us to find strength in weakness to find reliance not in self, but in you. 
and to find focus in what your plan is for us, that we can stay the course, maintain, and fulfill the mission you have for each and every one of us. Help us to be like Jesus and less like Samson, to fulfill the mission you have for us. And you'll do it. You're faithful to provide all that we need, the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge, all that we need, we can find in you and we will find in you to fulfill the mission you have for us. And I thank you for your faithfulness and your power and your strength for us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.